Welcome to ABC Cafe. My name is Anthony Apodaca. Today's guest is Dana Stimson. She is a family nurse practitioner, a member of the Champlain Valley DSA, and Community Voices for Immigrant Rights. We talk about COVID-19, our state's response, and the impact on working families. I hope you enjoy. I am on the line with Dana Stimson. Dana, thank you for joining joining the podcast. Thanks for having me. Um, I wanted to start off, because uh, you are a nurse practitioner, you're in the health industry. I wanted to know if you could give us an update on the state of affairs in Vermont, at least as, as you see it with respect to the COVID-19. Yeah, so I think that, you know, overall, Vermont has done a really excellent job in kind of flattening the curve, as they say, um, to keep cases down and um, keep people out of the hospital. We have had a fairly high death rate per capita um, compared to some other states, I think mostly because we had those two big outbreaks in the long-term care facilities in Burlington. But Mm-hmm. Since the, those initial outbreaks, we have seen a really, really sharp decline in the number of cases in Vermont. And I think that's mostly attributed to um, people doing a really good job social distancing because that's really the main tool that we have been using as um, a health, like as a community. Um As we're looking forward toward moving into kind of the next phase of things, I think what the healthcare world is hoping to do is ramp up the um, number of tests that we're running. Right now, I think in Vermont, we're only running about 2,000 tests a week, which is a very, very small percentage of the population. I think like 0.3% or something like that. what Mark Levine is saying is that he wants to ramp up testing so that we can run about 7,500 tests a week. So like over almost quadrupling the number of tests that we're currently doing. And they'll be expanding those tests to different sectors. So not just patients who are symptomatic, but also um, vulnerable populations, like people living in long-term care facilities, people living in prisons, Um, after that kind of initial phase, they'll be moving into testing other. Is there a timeline for that, for the, the, the quadruple to get to 7,500 a week? They, um, are being pretty vague about this specific timeline. We are, um, I'm imagining that they're hoping to do that by the end of May, but they haven't given a specific date in mind as when that will be happening. They are they have already started to expand the criteria for who they're testing, including this week. They just announced that they want to start testing um, childcare workers as well. Um, so I think that's going to be a big part of reopening things back up is ensuring that people with kids are able to send their kids to childcare and feel safe doing right. that. Oh, on that note, what about schools? Because I mean, I think first schools are people's childcare. Yes. Um, as far as I've heard, there is no plan to reopen school this year. Um, they, again, I'm not really sure why the state has been so vague in terms of talking about the reopening strategy. My, what I've heard from UVM is that they feel very confident that they'll be returning to in-person classes in August. Um, that's obviously very different than K through 12. And I know that there, there is a pediatric task force that's looking at 
how to save the European schools, what that would need to look like in terms of like staggering, staggering days, kids going back in, um, having much more strict um, hygiene policies and potentially even, you know, like having kids all stay in the same class all day and eat lunch in the classroom, things like that to really minimize contact. Um, but as far as I know that that the earliest that that would be happening would be next fall. Mm -hmm. I think for the foreseeable future for this year, school is going to continue to be online unless they throw a curveball and decide that they feel prepared to be able to implement all of those things. But I, I don't think that they do based on the class sizes that we have and the number of kids that realistically can safely be in one class and maintain safe distance. Right. So actually, I was going to bring this up a little bit later, but since you mentioned the ramp up of testing, I kind of thought maybe it's relevant earlier rather than later, which is this new uh, uh, piece of literature that came out sort of from the Harvard ethics group, um, which is a bipartisan plan. If people haven't seen it, you can find it on um, that ethics.harvard.edu slash COVID roadmap. And I think there's a couple interesting things here because what what you mentioned and why I wanted to bring it up now is in addition to the ramp up of testing, you also said that you felt that the state, particularly Vermont, uh, was being a little bit vague on the on the details of reopening. Or, and I guess from my point of view, I've been a little frustrated because it doesn't seem like anyone has a plan. It's just every day Governor Scott kind of coming down like Moses from Sinai <laughs> saying, construction workers shall now go forth. And then like we wait two more days. <laughs> the dentist oh. office shall now be open. And we're just like, what's the what's the plan? Like, how do we defeat the virus? You know, what 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 are we going to do in like five years when this happens again? You know, what what is the actual strategy and what is the plan? And so this this document is a strategy and is a plan. And it's not exactly what Vermont's doing. And I kind of want to know from your perspective, having reviewed it and, and I'll summarize a few points here. Um, basically, the plan is this is a, the roadmap to pandemic re resilience. It's massive scale testing, uh, uh, tracing, contact tracing, and supported isolation. And supported isolation basically means if you're tested positive or if you're in the group of people who are, are targeted from like a contact tracing study that you are supported to <laughs> paid. In other words, your needs are taken care of to go live in a hotel, quarantine for for two weeks or whatever it is. Um, so that's that supported isolation. So massive scale testing, um, a huge ramp up in contact tracing and uh, the supported isolation. And the numbers that they're calling for, for example, for the massive scale testing are the capacity, this is across the whole US, to do 5 million tests a day um, by June. And then by the end of July, 20 million tests a day. So I did the math for the state of Vermont, and because you mentioned 7,500 a week, the math for the state of Vermont is 6,000 a day and um, 20,000, I guess, or 24,000 for uh, by the end of July. So 
I guess my, so the question <laughs> is <laughs> <laughs> what do you think about that plan in general and is it realistic that Vermont would even hope to accomplish that or does the population density matter in terms of how much we need to do these things uh, I don't know I don't know what to make of it and I'm kind of thinking like how do we put pressure on someone to tell us what the plan is so it's not like Moses coming down with, with the Ten Commandments in terms of who can go to work. <laughs> right. I mean, I think that the uh, to your point about the number of tests, that was the big thing that struck me when reading the Harvard plan for reopening was there, you know, they're talking about testing between two and six percent of the population every day, which like you said, in Vermont is what, 6,000 tests a day. And they're hoping to ramp up to what they're saying at 7,500 per week. So it's obviously, there's a huge discrepancy and they haven't been very forthcoming about where, you know, they're saying that all of their planning is evidence-based, but they're, they're where not, the evidence is yeah, coming from yeah. isn't totally you're <laughs> clear. Not, you're, not, you're not showing your work. You're just like, it's <laughs> like you're, they're, they're like grade school kids and, and they're just saying the answer is three but they're not showing how they did the math yeah exactly <laughs> and there are you know the the harvard plan it's very like they they cite what other countries are doing none of the stuff is very it doesn't seem overly complicated it it's remarkably simple in fact <laughs> like yeah exactly it's like okay you <laughs> test the people you isolate them once you they test positive and trace the people they could have come in contact with and i think <laughs> the why other states are not adopting a more like comprehensive and coordinated plan is a little baffling to me i think the i don't know if it's governor scott's political you know his desire to have this ability to just come down on Fridays and make big announcements. And that's really all there is to it. I, you know, last week we heard that he was going to be making a big announcement this coming Friday on the 8th, I believe, of something that's school related and um, outdoor recreation related, but they won't tell us what it is. And I think it, what a lot of people would like to see is more information earlier and more of a like a stepwise plan that we all have access to instead of feeling like we're sort of in the dark until we get the next press update. Um, we, I think the, the main question for me in terms of capacity is where Vermont is going to get the funding for the tests and then where the, you know, where the tests are gonna come from generally, because at this point, like is mentioned in the, um, the plan for pandemic resilience, they, there's a huge gap between where our infrastructure is currently and where it needs to be in order to be able to manufacture and distribute the number of tests that we need to be doing. Um, and I guess that's a sort of separate question. <laughs> is it going to be another federal stimulus plan? Is it going to be, I mean, ultimately, I think that's probably where it has to come from, right? I don't, think that the state has any capacity to provide that funding beyond really what it's done. Right. So I wanted to pick up on two things. One is sort of the, the plan. And I think, well, the aspect of the plan of funding. And I, but I do think that's a separate question because at the very least, I would expect someone to say, look, here's what we need to do. 
and here's why we can't do it or here's why it's going to take longer than we think you know so the idea of if we need federal funding or we need extra resources to procure whatever it is whether it's ventilators or ppe or testing kits it seems like we should at least have a transparent idea of what needs to happen based kind of on the scientific evidence and the, the scientific research and the people who have studied this going uh, you know, for, for decades, right? And in, I don't, you mentioned other countries when that's also true. Like we have other countries to, to look to. We don't have to invent something totally new. Um, so that's one thing. And the second thing is, I guess, this is from VT Digger. And I think the date is April 26th. So pretty recently. And... Uh, this is VT Digger. South Korea contained the disease by offering widespread testing early on. Um, once officials identified, they tested everyone who came into contact with the person and imposed a strict quarantine, um, a strategy epidemiologists call containment. And then this is uh, Levine. Early in an epidemic, that's a great strategy. But it seems to me that this study kind of flies in the face of this argument that I've actually seen him make elsewhere that there's different strategies early on and later on. But it actually seems like the strategy is the same no matter where you are. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah, Which I is totally like widespread. <laughs> yeah. So I don't like why why isn't anyone being like hey, I'm I'm waiting for a reporter to be like, hey, what about this Harvard study? Why aren't you doing this? And if there's a good reason, I'll live with that. But it's not even being discussed, which is odd to me. Yeah, I'm really curious what conversations are happening behind closed doors that we don't we're not privy to, <laughs> um, because it seems like they are they must be weighing different options. And I don't know if they feel constrained by funding. And so they really think this is the best they can do or Bill Scott's really conservative and he really wants to reopen the economy for business and. So he's willing to kind of accelerate things beyond, uh, like, despite not having adequate testing um, and opening sectors that aren't really clearly, you know, they're not outlined in the same way that they are in the Harvard plan in terms of, like, which sectors should be opening up when. Um, and they lay out a very clear timeline of phases in which we are back to fully open, you know, with public health modifications by August, which would be incredible um, if that were to happen. But I'm. Which is even more confusing why people wouldn't want to adapt it because I, or adopt it. I'm, I understand because there is a, there is a part of me that definitely agrees that people need to go back to work. So it does seem strange to me that, that a group would not only, like the Harvard group would not only come up with a way to reopen the economy, but to do it in a rational way that's scientifically based and to do it quickly and that no one is really talking about it. Yeah, and I think that Mark Levine does seem to be shifting a little bit in terms, of, like looking at his plan for phasing in terms of testing, talking about the number of contact tracers that they're hiring and training. In Did they say how to... many they're going to hire yet? Because when I read it, they're like, the state refused to provide any details. It was just sort of like, we're going to we're going to bring some more on. But like, you know, how many? How many do we need? What's the ramp up? You know? 
The um, they say the last that I read was that they have 53 trained contact tracers and then they have a plan in place to be able to hire and train additional personnel as needed. And the current number of tracers that they have gives them the capacity to, I think, trace up to 500 cases per week, um, which is quite a few less than what we've been seeing um yeah in terms of the no- the actual number of cases that we're seeing per week so that seems to me like a totally reasonable number of tracers right so that's promising <laughs> i would still like to know you know how how they're coming to these conclusions that would be i think everyone would relax a little bit more too right if they knew there was a plan Right. I think that people would be so much more responsive and be, yeah, just feel more at ease knowing that there is a plan and that we know what the plan is, not just sort of sitting at home waiting and hoping for the best. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So in your, in your work as a nurse practitioner, what are the things, are there resources that you don't have that you need to have or what, how do you see the long-term impacts of this? I mean, I think, you know, working in outpatient care, the biggest change for us has been that we have a huge reduction in the number of patients that we're seeing. Um, Most, you know, initially we didn't want to see anybody in person in clinic and lots of parents were really afraid of bringing their kids out in public either. And so we, as you know, it's a, it's a small business, just like many others, we're faced with this, you know, fear of like not being able to generate enough revenue to be able to make it through the pandemic. And um, we are lucky in that we do have enough protective equipment to see the few patients in person that we are seeing. Um, so I don't necessarily feel worried about that, but I'm definitely worried about the kind of like economic ramifications for um, small businesses, healthcare and non, um, and not really having the resources to be resilient through what's probably going to be a long-term downturn. You know, I think even if we do get to a place where lots more patients could theoretically be seen in person, lots of parents have lost their health insurance and Mm -hmm. um, are still going to be afraid to bring their kids out unless necessary, even, you know, no matter how much we reassure them that we're wiping down everything incredibly well and everyone's masked and it's, you know, as safe a place as you could come to. I think there still is going to be a lot of fear for a while. Do you think then Vermont is sort of in the clear in terms of its own medical response? Just, and, and, and do you fear, not fear, but are you concerned with, you know, the waves, I guess, and, and the, the, the and, and next wave coming in, in the winter, I think, because at least from a, well, no, I'll just, that's my question. <laughs> I, I think I'm cautiously optimistic. I wouldn't say that we're definitively in the clear. I think that with the reopening, we're definitely going to be seeing an uptick in the number of cases. Mm-hmm. I think it's, that's just inevitable. Um, so it'll be really interesting to see as things gradually do start to reopen to what extent the cases really bump back up versus kind of just have a slow, gentle uptick that is maintainable and, um, 
you know, the hospitals are able to deal with that. I think it's really hard to say. I wish I could predict, but, you know, I was thinking back to early March when we were first starting to think about all of this and looking at these projections at 30% of the population being infected with COVID and which would lead to, I think, like a 5% hospitalization rate. And at that rate, which was kind of like what the sort of like average middle of the road scenario was, Vermont was going to be totally overrun. And that was, you know, not worst case scenario, not best case scenario, just somewhere right in the middle. And Mm we at least so far have done better than even what the sort of like best case scenario has predicted. And that's not to say that we are in the clear by any means. I think it's probably just going to be a much slower, gentler slope than maybe what the initial models were predicting. I, I'm hopeful that we are able to get enough testing done and kind of ramped up and ready to go so that come fall, we have all the infrastructure in place that we might not see as big of a spike as some of the possible models are predicting. I think that was one of the, you know, promising things about the Harvard plan was that this, even if we don't do exactly what they recommend on the timeline that they recommend, if we do some version of that and massively, you know, massively increasing the amount of testing and contact tracing that we're doing and actually supporting workers when they do need to stay home. Which have we um, done that last thing at all? Because <laughs> um, that's a big one. Because if people don't, if people aren't supported and we're starting to open up sectors of the economy, then they're not going to stay at home and not get paid. Right. right. And I, I'm actually curious. I don't know if you know more than I do. I know that I know the, very, I know very little. <laughs> Vermont has passed some things as a state to allow for, I think, 14 days of paid sick leave for a person if they have a confirmed positive test mm-hmm. um, that is paid. I think the the law mandates that the employer pays the paid sick leave, but then I think they get a tax credit, so it doesn't actually affect the business. Um, and there's also expanded family medical leave temporarily. I think it's all through the end of September or something. And I'm sorry if I'm totally butchering these <laughs> timelines. Um, but I think that um, those will have to be expanded and hopefully made permanent. I mean, I think the silver lining of this is that we do have the opportunity to hopefully fight for some worker protections that um, to be made permanent, things like paid family medical leave, which right now in Vermont is not mandatory at all, um, and paid sick leave, which mo- a lot of probably the majority of workers don't have access to. Um, Mm -hmm. Those are things that we should have regardless of whether or not there's a pandemic in place. And so my hope is that we can take this opportunity to really fight for those to be made a permanent part of our, you know, our social safety net and not just a temporary COVID-19. Right. And I think it would affect other things as well, because a lot of people have been making, you know, 
not smart people have been making comparisons to, to the flu. <laughs> it's just, you know, saying just like the flu. But I think there's a public health aspect of it that a public health aspect of it and a social safety net aspect of it that could hopefully have a positive lasting effect. For example, maybe you should just be washing your hands more. And if you're sick, not going around or wearing a mask, if you have to go around, you know, um, and maybe there, there, there should be paid time off to, to support those things so that you don't have to infect the population. <laughs> right. I mean, I think there've been so many studies that have shown that workers are, more productive when they have paid time off and they're allowed to take time off when they're sick instead mm -hmm. of having CTO. Like any person who has CTO will tell you that they will come to work sick unless they're on their deathbed because they would rather use that time for vacation time. And that's obviously right. increasing the risk of spreading infection to other people in the workplace. And same thing goes for kids going to school. And so I think you're right. It's a totally great opportunity. And I think a good learning experience for lots of people that like, okay, this is way worse than the flu, but also the flu is bad and we would love to have less people get that. So maybe it would be great if <laughs> people right. washed their hands and wore masks and generally stayed home when they were sick. And we need to be able to provide the supports for people to not feel like they have to go to work or they won't be able to feed their family. Dana Stimson, thank you for joining me. This was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed this conversation. Yeah, thanks so much, Anthony. It was great to talk to you.